0: Good morning and welcome to behind the lights with me seb and me jana as always uh we pay respect to traditional custodians of the land we're coming from the gadigal people of the Aurora nation um on today's special episode of behind the lights we've been joined by an amazing athlete who has had to come through some real life-changing challenges to achieve his dream of representing australia at the tokyo paralympics this year in wheelchair rugby uh, we welcome to behind the lights, Richard Dicky Voris? Welcome, mate.
1: Cheers, man. Thanks for having us.
0: First, Dicky, we'll start with um. Did you watch the NRL grand final last night? I know you're a, a mountains boy, where you are going for the Panthers.
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge NRL fan, but um, got to watch the grand final. So it was nail biter Still, it was pretty, pretty entertaining stuff.
0: Yeah, no, it was a great game. Um, I guess starting off, Dicky, um. Let's go back all the way to the beginning. Growing up in wimberley in the Blue Mountains. Uh, before, obviously, we we'll are going to the accident. Uh, was sport or did sport play a major role in your life growing up?
1: Yeah, I was played a lot of football and soccer um, growing up. Try to try to play at a high level, but I wasn't wasn't quite good enough back then. Yeah. Yeah, never had the speed in me for that. But <laughs> love. Love soccer but even at school, played all sports. Played yeah. rugby union at school. You know, got into anything I could. Even AFL, touch, even netball, just anything. Man, yep. just love, love the bit of sport. Yeah.
0: Um, and I guess for those not aware, I guess, um, do you mind going into explaining the accident that did occur? Um, obviously, we were very young at the time. Um, what happened on that day, and and sort of yeah, what occurred uh, when you did have your accident? Um, yeah, so it was
1: pretty much back when I was 19, um, just a bunch of mates all, you know, hanging out, drinking, partying, but like you know, it was afternoon at, at a mate's in a swimming pool and we're just playing games, mucking around stuff. And, uh, just the friends accidentally tried to jump over me, just clipped me in the back of the head with his his knees or feet or something. And it was as simple as that. And it's just snapped my neck forward, um, ended up going under the water, Must have popped back up with just, I don't know, air in my lungs or whatever. And it sort of like lifted me back up out of the water and just instantly somehow I just knew something was wrong. So I just called out, get me out of the pool, get me out of the water. And I just laid face down until friends sort of dragged me out of the pool, lifted me up on the side and rolled me over. Got water out of my mouth and stuff and like instantly just knew something was just not right. Just told to call the ambulance, can't yeah. feel legs and stuff like that. So it was pretty, pretty shocking at the time. Um, but then at the same time, I like was trying to play it off. because I didn't really like, you just didn't assume it if it was as bad as it was. Yeah. So you just, yeah, did not think it was going to be as, as bad a situation as it ended up being.
0: I guess in terms of um, those initial feelings, when you did find out obviously what had happened, um, what were your initial feelings after the accident
1: um so when you're in it, it's a tough one it's a strange situation At uh, the time you're in icu um you've got like tubes down your throats for the first day or couple of days and that you can't like talk or anything yeah um can't really move arms you've, it, it's amazing how much of your body shuts down and you've got to start all over again like You can't lift arms to scratch your nose. Like that took me like five days to be able to bounce my arm up my body to scratch my nose. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. So you're in a bit of shock and it's all, and at that stage you're still like, I can get better. You know, I'm still going to improve. Don't know what, how much I'm going to, you know, come back to normal maybe or whatever. So the initial shock wasn't too bad. I was just like, all right, what do I have to do? Yep. to sort of get back to normal. I think it's, like, it's a little bit later down the track that, yeah, you start to realize this is probably permanent and yeah, it starts to get a bit rough. Yeah. Later on. What, what was that
2: thoughts that kind of went through your mind when you, when you had that recognition that, you know, you were noticing that it was going to be something permanent, what was then kind of that, that mindset that you kind of had then at that point?
1: Yeah. So. I was lucky when I was in hospital and rehab, because you go through two months. I was two months in hospital mm. and six months in a spinal rehab. And like during the days, I was lucky. There was lots of young people there. So we're just like exercising, fooling around, mucking around. Everyone's in the same boat. So you put mm. so it was a good vibe. Was, I, I was very lucky when I went. There was like four people in a room, so it was like dorms type of thing. Yeah. It's so different to what it is now. And yeah. it was a bit loose, a bit looser as well. <laughs> so that wasn't too bad. Um but a lot of times. It's at night and all of a sudden you're just laying in bed. Things have slowed down. You're like, I can't even like, yeah. And at that stage, your body's so weak and it takes so hard to like get back to where I am now is like a a dream. If I knew that this was possible then, um, you can't even get into bed yourself. You can't do anything. So you're just thinking, oh, how much have I lost? How much, like, I just can't do anything like anyone now all these dark thoughts like what's the point yeah
0: yeah until is that the hardest bit dicky in terms of those basic things as sort of humans that we just take for granted now all of a sudden you can't even as you said can't even take yourself off to bed
1: yeah like just the absolute basic stuff that you just want to do and and all just things that just take forever like just showering just getting dressed those things back then were just an absolute nightmare just the the bare minimum but I was lucky enough to see someone came in that was like the same level of injury as me mm. and like he's driving a car he's independent no carers mm. no nothing and then often like sweet like yep. I can I can do that that gives me some kind of hope because I had people in there before with the same injury as me and they're in like power chairs and I was out of the power chairs straight away so you're like like you just don't know what you can do until someone can sort of Give you that light you're like okay this is possible because you get sort of people are like babied a bit and rehab and stuff and mm. yeah put into chairs and say you can't do this you need to watch your shoulders be careful you're going to ruin your shoulders don't do this and there's so much you can do the human body is pretty amazing yeah. there's so much you can do that yeah you put yourself through and yeah,
2: it's, it's it's pretty remarkable. Did yeah. you see then that, like as you said, that individual kind of came in and you and you then saw what was what was there, what you could possibly do. Did you see that as a bit of like motivation as well to kind of continue on with with all the rehab and everything?
1: Definitely in terms of just sorting out my body, going. I just need to get strong as possible. I'm going to keep practicing these things. Um, I'll get in the car. I'll drive. I'll go to the gym. On that side of things, um, yes, definitely. Like it's gives you that motivation saying, I can do this. I'll get rid of my carers as soon as I can. Yep. I'll try and live that normal life. Um, doesn't necessarily help the mental side of things, which I found really tough when I went home. That yep. was like more time where um, you have to yourself all of a sudden during the days. I didn't have a job when I first came back. I wasn't studying or anything. Yeah. Um that they were, they were pretty dark times when all your friends are at uni or work or something and you're just sitting at home yeah. long periods of the day without really anything sort of to aim for. That's that's what makes it tough. You've got to have something.
0: Yeah. When did when you did move back home, Dickie, did you find you did have a supportive um I guess community around you helping through some of those, I guess, darker times? And obviously, as you said, that time, especially when you're just by yourself at home.
1: Yeah, yeah, Wimmerleed Mountains, great people up there. Like I had a lot of um lot of support in like fundraisers because when I came back, I had no money or anything. So hopefully I had fundraisers helped me get a car, which was a huge deal because being able to get around, like I don't steep driver I couldn't get out of my parents' house without being in my car. Yeah. So yeah. having that car was a huge thing. Um the community helped heaps with like um modifications to the house and that, like cannot be thankful enough. And I have really good parents, really good family, and, like, some really good friends that got me through everything. Like, they'd be around during the week and the afternoons, weekends and everything. But there's only so much people can do. Like, hmm. you're always going to miss out on stuff that just – you just don't – you can't just do what everyone else does. when you, Like, unless, when you first have that injury and stuff, like, we're 19, 20 years old. Mates are going down the city, yep. getting the train, hour and a half train trip plus partying, then coming back, whatever. I just couldn't do that. Yeah. Like it's just not that simple to get on the train and then you miss mates or something happens and you get stirred up in that night. I, I wasn't at the stage where I could comfortably get myself back home and do things. So I I missed out on huge events. There's you know New Year's, birthday parties, all sorts of things that so I was at home by myself where I just missed out on all that. So it, it was tough at the time.
0: Um, I guess moved forward, uh, how did you initially get involved then with uh, wheelchair rugby? What was the first sort of um, calling in regards to that and, and sort of how did that experience open up to you?
1: Yeah, so once again, lucky that I had a good group of people when I was in rehab with, like really lucky. Um, one of the guys just said, look, come on out, let's try wheelchair rugby. I looked at it when I was in rehab and I was like,
2: nah, hmm. not for me.
1: And he said, just come on out. And it was down at, um, I think it was like, riverview college or something down at gladesville so it was a bit of a track and i'm just like stuff it got in the car drove down through the traffic and see and stuff took me like an hour and a half it was a mission <laughs> um but i got there and the guy running um at wheelchair sports is running wheelchair sports um the, the rugby program stuff at the time said uh sebastian then vendell awesome guy just mm. awesome guy and he's just basically picked me up out of my chair threw me in strapped up my hand with some gloves and stuff and there's only about four other people five other people there at the time a couple of new guys as well it was pretty small um yeah just happened like that's what happens in which with there's people come and go stuff and at the time there was no one really there but um the people that were there were just awesome and it was yeah. good to have people on the same boat going through the same stuff the same sort of injuries um and it was just it was a great experience i pushed around By the end of that session, I had blood trickling down the back of my hands from pushing and stuff like nails ripped off just because you're like awkwardly pushing with your hands, just like, um, but it was a great experience and I was just hooked on it pretty much straight away and just started driving down every week.
2: Did you recognize then at that point, was that the time when you said, this is what I really want to do? And I mean, we know that now you went on to represent the country. So is that the time when you kind of recognize this is what I want to do?
1: And I want to represent Australia in doing this. That was probably a bit too early for that. I think at the hmm. time it was more like of all of a sudden I've got a goal. I've hmm. got something that I'm going to like work towards. This is, this is what I want. Um, and I started going to weekly trainings. And I'm like, how can I get better? And they're just got to get in your chair in your own time. So I, Go to the local park, and I'd have to drive there. I, um, you know, my dad might help me before he goes to work, and I'd sit, do my two-hour session, and then I'd wait until maybe one of the guys was coming home from university, and they'd be able to help me get out of my chair because I couldn't yeah. do any of that back then. So um, I was doing all that sort of stuff at the start, and it probably wasn't till <clears throat> maybe six months or so after playing in that but I was just. Still so new and so slow and everything on court, and then the coaches actually for the Australian team just called me up and said, "Look, you wanna come along to some camps and stuff and be part of the development sort of team." Um, and I got invited up to a trip to Darwin. So that was hmm. that was my first experience with the team, yep. and yeah, that was that was when it was like, "Okay, I can take this. <laughs> this is a a career that you can have where you can earn money and you can travel and you can play a sport and be around your mates." Like yes. This. It's a pretty sick lifestyle.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I guess, yeah. as you mentioned, Diggy, was it, I guess, that sense of purpose and also structure in terms yeah. of going to training and obviously being part of a, a sporting team um, that obviously gave you that sense of, this is something that I'd, I'd love to sort of do and be involved with?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's definitely that structure in that and it giving me sort of that purpose at the start. And now now I'm looking back at that like eight, nine years ago and it's just, that's, Maintained everything in the athlete's life, like the structure that I have in my everyday things, based around your training, your dieting, everything. And yeah, that's all, that's all come from that. And that, that was such a mental relief, like such yeah. so good for my head more than anything. Um, and it sort of gives you that purpose and that goal. And that's, that's done one. So I honestly, anyone that's been in a tough situation with accidents or I don't know, any kind of serious incidents happened in their life that's trying to get past. I think sports just an amazing thing.
0: Hmm. I guess it was it also that sense of being around other people that had been through and understood the situation that you are come out of as well in terms of being around that similar sort of people who'd been or had similar sort of um things happen to them.
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. I that was definitely something that was massive like yeah um just going away and playing like a state competition, you got guys from New South Wales, Queensland, um, Victoria, and you meet all these different people, and they're all like teaching you tricks about how to be independent, yeah. how to like stuff that you wouldn't you wouldn't even think of. But like, we have to talk about like how to go to the bathroom, how to do like transfers into this that, how to do things on your own, how to all sorts of stuff. So that was huge, and to be yeah. around all these other people, and now made all these other friends that are. Going through roughly the same thing and um, and just how normal life can be still, that was massive for me because especially at the start in the mountains when there was no one else really, it was like like your friends are all awesome and supportive, but no one really knows what you go through. No one yeah. knows what what's happening yeah. day in day out, what you have to battle through just to wake up and get out of bed and everything yeah. like that at the start. Yeah, so it was amazing. Would you say then that? because you then started
2: becoming part of those teams and those, those individuals and everything, that's what really helped you then as well gain that independency that you were talking about before that, you know, you lacked a little bit at the start and then you were able to to learn about that. Would you say it's because of that team that you were essentially be able be able to be a part
1: of and everything? Yeah, definitely. But also just the strength and stuff that Mm. I managed to get back from playing rugby, Mm. like me in the gym up until rugby, I was, on the gym three times a week. Yeah. But like a couple of years, and I didn't get anywhere near as much strength and like functional strength, like yeah. able to transfer and stuff like that until I started playing rugby. And then it just, it came within like a year or so of that. Um, and I just opened up doors. Like I would, I was traveling over to New Zealand to play in a competition by myself without just like to, to play on one of the teams over there or like just went to trips with Barley's with other yeah. guys in the team. And, um, yeah, it just opened up so many doors, man.
2: No, that's great. Now, looking as well, um, kind of looking back at your life as well. In twenty sixteen, you know, you were diagnosed with an, a rare auto, autoimmune disease. Can you kind of take us through that and kind of how that affected you, and then how you how you essentially were able to overcome that and, and manage a lot of the symptoms?
1: Yeah. So, during twenty sixteen. I noticed that I was like getting weaker and I, mm. no idea why, like I was just getting slower on court. Didn't really know what was going on. Um, and it wasn't until I was on in Hong Kong on holidays with another mate, that I played rugby with him. My eyesight went like mm. starting at double vision. Um, and I was just like playing it off. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it should be all right. And so it was like so bad that I had to like follow him around because I just couldn't, couldn't see anything when mm. I was moving around ended up in hospital over there, which was, terrible yeah. uh flew home as soon as i could and yeah took a, took a couple months in hospital in penrith um they were terrible they didn't help me at all i just got mm. worse mm. lost um so i had double vision uh my eyelids were droop. so the only way for me to see was to tip my head right back i could see out the bottom
2: yeah
1: um and lost um, arms like couldn't lift my arms in the air lost wrist function everything i went back to just basically that almost the day that i broke my neck plus i wow. can't see wow. so it's like everything i had done had to start all over again i was back at the beginning again and it took yeah i'm still well i'm pretty good now but it's like it honestly took about three to four years yeah to try to get a stable of yeah. like um getting plasma apheresis so they take the plasma out of your blood, put you plasma in. I was getting that three times a week. Um, and slowly spaced it out. Like I've had like over 120 treatments in four or five years now. So four years. So this heaps that. I'm on like immunosuppressant medication. So it's COVID around and that, like I'm high risk. Hmm. Um, I've had operations to try to help it and stuff. It's just, it's an ongoing thing. So at the moment, I've sort of got it stable, but even like leading up to the, to the Tokyo Paralympics I still wasn't wasn't in good shape I was having issues for that six months leading up to it so yeah while I was there I wasn't even at my best So I'm pretty pretty annoyed at
2: myself for that taking us through then a little bit I mean COVID is you know still prevalent around the world and here in Australia as well how did that affect as well your Preparations for the Paralympics. What? How, what did that actually? How did that affect you? You know, getting prepared with your teammates individually, just in general for the for the
1: Paralympics. Yeah. So we had as a Australian team, we had the worst running out of it. We thought we were going to have it the best because we had mm. Australia had it under control pretty much with COVID, but with all our restrictions, um, the team of twelve athletes that we had over there yep. had never trained before, together before as a complete team. until we got there so we had i think we had three camps in 18 months leading up to it um and there was always someone injured or unwell or something at least one if not multiple so we we had a terrible running we had no training together no games no competitions nothing and some of these european teams were like France, Denmark, and uh, GB had a competition like two months earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yep. USA having camps all the time, so we, we had a real shock. We had no rhythm, and you could sort of tell that when we got there.
0: Individually, though, Dickie, how proud a moment was it for you to represent Australia um, at the Paralympics um, in Tokyo? And what was yeah, the experience was, um, like for yourself?
1: Yeah, I was when I found out and stuff. It was like. Obviously, really proud in that. Also, just massive relief. And then when I started thinking about, like, it was more, yeah, I was proud to to represent Australia, but I was more, like, honored to be part of this team. Like, these are some great athletes that I'm with, like, that have been around for a long time. They've won it all. They've done it all. Some of them, um, yeah, it's just, couldn't be more stoked to be part of that team.
0: And how was it? And what the experience being over in Tokyo representing your country? Obviously, that first game with the national anthem, uh, yeah, is going off. So, was that a proud moment for yourself? Obviously, and your family and everyone that had sort of supported you up to that moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was um, it was huge. And like, even though there was no fans um, or there was no crowd or anything there, it was still it was an amazing experience being in that stadium, being there. You know, with teammates around us. Sings national anthem, you're like, "All right, this is it. Finally, it's like, mm. or, yep. you know, we were just ready to go, and we we're pretty pumped up."
0: Um, and I guess you mentioned it before in terms of the team's performance. Obviously, disappointing that um, you didn't come home with a medal, but obviously, do you think the lead-up had a massive effect on on the way the team was able to perform in in Tokyo?
1: Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. Look, Obviously when you don't get to play together and you don't get any competitions, yeah. no training sessions. Like I've I was actually training a lot. So I I didn't train with anyone else for the three months prior to it. And then in you know, the 18 months in total, I can yeah. like just training with some guys in New South Wales. But it's not it's nowhere near the same. It's just makes a huge difference. So yeah, like. It, it, it was it was really tough. It was really tough over there, and it, and it's disappointing to not come home with that medal. But we had some time in lockdown, to sort of like the quarantine, when I came back to think about it all and assess where I was. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. my headspace was almost so much that I just wanted to get to the Paralympics. Yeah. Like I put everything in it to try to get my health sorted so I could get there. And it's almost like when I found out I was selected, it was just whew, I've, I've done it. And maybe I was in the wrong headspace of like, you know, the jobs that's only like getting there. That's not the job done. So I don't know if I was completely in the right headspace of like going gun ho. we got to win this type of thing. Um, Even though obviously you are, but there's so much that I had to work towards just to get there. Yeah. So I don't know if I, I don't know. I I think that, you
2: know, especially after you talking about, you know, all the challenges that you personally, as well as the team it, for Australia had to really overcome that there's should be no disappointment at all. You should be very proud of the accomplishments that you had and, and the progression that you've had throughout the Paralympics and, and yourself personally, but speaking about that. So then what, what is the goal is the goal to then continue for Paris 2024. It's not that far, far ahead now that, you know, kind of with the, uh, off years here, but, um, so is that now the goal to look ahead to the next Paralympics,
1: um, It's a tough one. Our next major thing is actually um, world champs in Denmark next year in October. So it's kind of a big year for me personally now. It's like um, there's new players coming through, you know, there's more competition for lineups. Now it's my time of I'm going to put everything aside that I've done for like working up and just wanting that Paralympic experience. I've had that. Now it's all about, Staying healthy and just up in it, and now I've got to really work hard to fight off these new players and keep <laughs> my spot in the team, and hopefully get. I need. I just need game time and experience, and I, yeah. I really want that. And if the next few years goes how I planned, then yeah, definitely Paris is is what I want to push for. I want like players I'm thirty now. Um, players in this sport can play up till they're forty. It, um, it's kind of yeah. different. There's a lot of you'd be if you saw the Japanese players. They're like 45, 46, and you yep. couldn't tell. These guys yeah, are like <laughs> athletes still. So um, definitely if I can make Paris, that'll be I want. I want the experience with the crowd there, you know. I want yeah. to have the real experience where we're not locked down in now building the whole time and I can go out and, and, and venture a bit.
0: Well, Dick, it's been fascinating um, hearing, obviously, your journey, obviously, up to now, and hopefully we do see it at World Champs and then obviously Paris in 2024. But as always with our guests, we end with five quick questions. Um, so just a little quick answer to these questions. Ready yeah, to go, nice. Diggy?
1: yeah.
0: All right, John has got question number one for you. All
2: right. So, what has been your favourite experience playing wheelchair rugby? If you can name one experience, just quickly off the top of your head, what would be your favourite experience?
1: My favourite experience, honestly, I I probably put Paralympics aside, even though that's massive, and I yeah. just say like. Um, just just like my first nationals when I when I got to play it and I actually got minutes. My first one when I met and I got heaps of minutes in that final in 2015. Um, I played most of that game, and it was just that was the first time that I really got heaps of minutes. So it was good.
0: Um, number two, Zicky, who has been the best player you have played against or with in wheelchair rugby? So anyone that stood out for you?
1: Oh, well, played, played against. I've always found um, I've always found uh, Ek from Japan just just an absolute nightmare to to get anywhere near and to hold on to. But the best the best players in Australia, obviously, it's Riley and, yep. and Andrew Edmondson. The two point he doesn't get enough recognition. It's always the high points get recognition. Hmm. But um, Andrew Edmondson, probably the best two in the world, and just what he does, to his class. He's, he's a weapon
2: nice nice now looking kind of ahead to the future because we want to see you in your career as long as possible as you said 45 50 whatever you can push it to <laughs> uh, what would you say are, are you going to see yourself staying involved with wheelchair rugby once you stop as a player do you see yourself staying involved as coach manager whatever let's say how do you see yourself
1: yeah i i, I love that i do so much for the new south wales mm. um Players and new development players as it is, definitely coaching is where I want to head down. Um, yeah. There's not enough coaches in wheelchair rugby and stuff. And I love that, that pathway from emerging player to wanting to make the Australian squad. So that's where I want to get involved in um, next, and we'll see what happens from there on.
0: You did touch on it before. Are you encouraged by the next generation of wheelchair rugby players coming through in Australia, Dickie? Obviously, you're involved in, in some of the pathway Um, pathways at the moment?
1: Yeah, there's a few players, but it's more so that finally um, we've got funding and finally there's someone Mm. in place. Their sole purpose is to find talent. So in the past year alone, we've brought in so many new players. Um, Up till then, our sport in Australia, it was dying. It was in a bad way. So the past year alone has given me lots of hope. Um, We've brought in some new players. We've pinched them from other sports. We've got some good guys that have unfortunately had injuries but it's a weird world because that works well for us so <laughs> it it's strange like that but no, there is there are some people coming through and um hopefully over the next you know four years or so yeah Australia the athletes come through and we do really well so and speaking of all those new athletes what is
2: the one piece of advice that you'd give to to anybody that might be experiencing you know essentially the similarities as to what you went through to get to where you are now what would be
1: that one piece of advice you'd give to them um just work your ass off to be as independent as possible don't don't want to rely on anyone don't take the easy route just want to try to live a normal life as possible it's too easy to be like mothered and Mm. and take it take the easy way just just work work hard
0: Well, Richard, Dickie Avoris, thank you very much for joining us on Behind the Lights. It's been amazing listening to your story up to now. There's still more to go, and we wish you all success in the future. Hopefully, as I said, World Champs next year and then Paris 2024, and hopefully you can bring over medal um, at Paris 2024 Mm. and the World Champs. So uh, good luck with everything made in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a good conversation. Thanks, Adrian. Not a problem at all.